You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. If you have your copy of the Word of God, will you stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word? We are in Judges chapter 2, verse 16. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter and then into chapter 3 down to verse 6. A little longer text today, but I want you to hear this story. The sermon last week, the sermon this week really set us up to hear the story of the judges. Now, we're not going to cover every judge, but we're going to hit a handful of judges that I think help us see sort of the condition of, of culture, not only in that day, but ours how leaders are called out, but most importantly, how the Spirit of God can work through his people. Notice this. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant, that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died, in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, And he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now in chapter 3, we see the practical reality. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war. To teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebo Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons. And notice this. And they served their gods. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word, and we are thankful that we know you, the one true God. But we also know that in this world that we are often tempted to chase after other gods false gods, gods of the flesh, desires of our hearts. And some in this room, Lord, are in that pursuit right now. They're not pursuing you. They're pursuing their passions. And we're praying, God, that today your word will eliminate our minds and hearts that we may be rescued by your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
I've often admired uh, those who serve us in our community, those emergency medical technicians, EMTs. I want to talk about them for just a second. Over the past several years, I've had the privilege of knowing some people. That's what they did for a living. They're the ones who, when there's an accident, they show up. No matter how bad the situation is, they show up and they help. And I know that those individuals who are the first responders so often walk into situations of utter chaos day in and day out. Their hearts are burdened by these uh, horrific things that happen in the world in which we live. I want you to realize that when an EMT shows up on a site, there are many times that they're dealing with a situation where one of the parties was doing something bad, wrong, illegal, reckless. Imagine, if you will, a a scene of, of, of a drunk driver. When the EMT shows up, he or she will know pretty quick what has happened and and who's at fault. There is, in that instance, perhaps someone hurt very badly who was behaving recklessly. And on the other hand, there may be someone who was hurt very badly who was completely innocent. But when the EMT shows up on site, it's not their job to play the job of, or play the role of the discerner or the judge or the jury. They show up and they don't ask the question, who's to blame? That's not the first question. The question that is asked is, who needs help the most? Now, I want you to realize that in the text I just read to you, what we are hearing here, what we discern is, is that as God's people, as they are going into the promised land, as they are given these amazing gifts of of leaders, they're given the word of God, they're given all these powers and miracles of God, and yet they behaved recklessly and found themselves in a position of great pain. In this instance, as we look at it, if God, the great physician, shows up on the scene, we need to realize that Israel has played the part of the drunk driver. Israel has played the part of the person who has caused great harm, but, but not necessarily in any way, shape, form, or fashion been the innocent victim. We need to understand that that's what's going on in the book of Judges. We have a people, an entire nation that has been behaving recklessly. But notice, as God shows up on the scene, though he has the high ground, though he has holiness on his side, he shows up and he has pity, mercy, compassion, and grace. Notice that that's the theme of all the negative things said in this passage about the way people are behaving. The one thing, the one light that is shining so brightly in this passage is the grace of God. If God shows up here today in our service, if he decides to touch your heart, You know, it's not so much about what you deserve. It really is what you need. You need the grace of God. You need to be rescued by the grace of God. And no matter where you have come from, no matter what your recent past or maybe a long past has been, I believe with all my heart that God wants you to hear a message of mercy and grace. Though much of our suffering is self-caused, we have a God of mercy and grace who saves. God's word is so clear. We have this EMT. We have this great physician. Now let's talk about the book of Judges because really it's a mess. The whole book is a mess. Some people talk about the cycle of the book of Judges and it goes something like this. Apostasy, which basically means sin. Uh, Servitude, which obviously means those sins cause so much trouble and enslaves the people. Supplication, that's when they get uh, uh, feeling bad about things and pray to the Lord and then deliverance. But as we go through this book together, what we're going to see is it's not so much a cycle as it is a spiral. 
It seems like from each judge, and by the way, in the book of Judges, there are 12. We're not going to get to cover all of them, but nonetheless, there are 12 judges. And it's, it is a cycle, but it is more of a spiral. Because as we go as an individual further down the path of sin, we, we do go deeper into it in a negative sense. And that's what's happening corporately. As the whole nation, as they continue to turn their hearts away from God, it becomes so evident that they are getting darker and darker. And by the way, when we get to the end of our series, we're going to look at Samson in three installments. And what we see in Samson is is the lowest of the low, a leader who from his very first days of leadership chooses his own sinful passions over his calling to God. And so Samson, you know of him as the strong man, but he is the weakest of the judges because his heart chases after the false gods of Canaan. In many ways, what we see in Samson, what we see in these other leaders of Israel, we see Israel getting what they deserve. Al Mohler said something powerful last week at the Southern Baptist Convention. He reminded us that basically politics is downstream from the culture. That our leaders today, we complain about them, but really they just represent where our culture is. When we complain about presidents or governors or those who are in charge, many times we're really complaining more about the state of the country. And I think that that holds true here in the book of Judges. What we see is that the leaders that God's people have just reflect the values of the people. They are behaving in such a way that would have been understandable to the average Hebrew person because the average Israelite, the average Hebrew person was not following God. Let's not keep this in the past because we look at our culture today and we look at where America stands today and though there are tens of thousands of churches in this land, many people who sit in the pews have ideas and they have philosophies and they have lifestyles that are completely contrary to the word of God. Israel had the word of God. They had a history of being blessed by God, and they chose to walk away from God. I think the book of Judges looks eerily like today. It's not an issue of do we have churches? Is the word of God out there? Absolutely. But there's a difference, brothers and sisters, between knowing what God's word says and actually obeying it. The conversations we're often having with people are conversations with people who were raised in church, but instead of making biblical arguments, they have swallowed hook, line, and sinker the arguments of the culture, and they don't even notice it, and they're putting their opinions and their ideas or the ideas and opinions of the culture above the word of God. That's why we are in such a difficult position. That's why the spiritual condition of America is very dry. We are in trouble, just as Israel was, but we do have a compassionate God who loves us, who will rescue us by grace, and who can bring us the revival our land needs. Let's talk about what that looks like here in the text. It's pretty plain. Let's look first at the role of the test. The role of the test. We need to understand why the Lord raised up these judges to begin with because they're an odd bunch. You have Moses and Joshua, strong spiritual leaders, 
Then you have uh, David eventually, and he's a strong leader, a king. But in between, you have this very murky period known as the judges. So what was God doing during this time period? I believe that the judges, again, as I said a moment ago, are just representative of the murkiness of the hearts of the people in that time. You see, God's people had been very clearly uh, given the law of God. Now, to show you what I'm talking about, let me just take a moment. God's word is so helpful here. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 4.32. So if you have your copy of Scripture, let's open it to Deuteronomy 4.32. I think we'll have it on the screen for you as well. But when we hear in the book of Judges that the people were not doing what they were supposed to, they were not following the way of Joshua, we we need to ask the question, if we're not connected with the Bible well enough, we say, well, what does that mean? What what are they in trouble for? What are they not doing right? Well, the book of Deuteronomy is officially, what that word means is second law or second giving of the law. And so in Deuteronomy, we have a repeat of what God had given Moses in and shortly after the wilderness experience. And so in Deuteronomy, he sort of summarizes again what God has done and what God has said. Now, I want you to hear this, another kind of long text, but hang with me. This is powerful. Now, notice all the advantages that God's people had been given. Think of it this way. Notice, for ask now of the days that are past, Moses says, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth and asked from one end of heaven to the other um, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Notice this. Did any people, this is Israel, did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of a fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Now remember who he's talking to. This is not ancient history. This is what has just happened. A ragtag group of slaves have been delivered from the mightiest nation on earth. And Moses is saying, don't forget what God has just done. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he uh, let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that the Lord God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. Now here's the key. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Now, notice how this text, I wanted to read this whole thing to you because it tells a story, and then it gives the ask from God. 
The story is you are a people from nowhere and nobody, and God raised you up and delivered you, showed you great miracles, spoke to you out of the fire. You have had things no one else has had. The, 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 uh, the writer basically says, Moses says, go up into heaven and ask them from one end of heaven to the next if such a thing has ever happened, and they will tell you that no one has ever had the advantages you have now. Here at the end, he says, here's the law, obey it. If you want to be successful in the land, apply it. Don't just know it. Don't just hear it. Do it. And that is the way that you are to live in the land for all time, you and your children after you. The statutes and commandments. Now come back to Judges with me. Judges 2.20 tells us a totally different scenario. So that was what should have been. Judges 2.20 tells us what was. And it's ugly. Um, The anger of the Lord comes against Israel because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice. So the problem in Judges, if we want to boil it down, it's not about who has the bigger army. It's not about who has the better castles and fortifications. It's all about a people who have been given the clear teaching of God and have chosen to ignore it. Church, how is that different than today? We have been given the commands of God. We know of the miracles of Christ. We celebrate the virgin birth and we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We believe in the power of God into salvation. That's what we say. And yet many times, instead of living for Jesus, we are living for ourselves. We come to church and we sing a song, but our lives and our actions and our hearts don't match up with Sunday. The problem is always going to be here, that push and pull. We can hear the word of God. We can know it. I mean, even people like me who have had the privilege of studying it for decades can have a high level of expertise and not practice these words. It's not enough to know of them. In fact, in 1 Samuel 3.1, and when we finish up the series, we'll talk a little bit about... um, Samuel, who I think is the 13th judge. He's not in the book of Judges, but he closes this time period out very well. And there in chapter 3, verse 1, we hear this line, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And I have to tell you, sometimes I think that those words, that the words of the Lord are rare in those days, I think those are our days. And it's such a shame because there are so many churches purporting to proclaim the word. But often what we're doing is we're just packaging or repackaging what the culture is saying. We're trying to make the, uh, the ideas of psychology uh, baptized. We want to make it sound like that we're as cool as the pop psychologists. Listen, we don't need cool. We need Christ. We don't need polish. We need power. We need the hope of heaven, not all of the things the world is offering us that lead us to a place called hell. So the people of God were tested, and they were not keeping the word of God, and so God sent these foreign nations into the land to test them, to show them that they were not living up to their promises. And it looks like these uh, nations, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, were all countries that God used to test the people and to 
bring to their minds and to their hearts that something was wrong. Many of the people in Canaan, these armies and these powerful nations were there when Joshua came in. By the power of God, they were driven out, but some were left behind, the text tells us, because God knew the people would stray from the Lord. And those people left behind, those false gods left hither and yon, would rise up from time to time and ascend to power with the people and attack Israel and cause great pain upon them. It was a test. When we love God and are called by God, let me tell you something. Tests are meant to be redemptive. If you're going through a difficult time right now and you are a child of God, know this. The test isn't to try you. It's not to just bring pain into your life. This isn't some kind of negative reinforcement. I believe that God allows the test because he wants to redeem you. He loves you as a son and as a daughter. And so if you are going through a spiritual test right now, it is not the cruelty of God, but it is the grace of God operative in your life. That's a hard thing to accept, but it's something that the Bible tells us. And know this, our God is serious about judging, about us being holy. We are told in Deuteronomy 4, 24, for indeed our God is consuming fire. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 29, repeats that. I want to tell you, our loyalty to God must be unswerving. But when we swerve, we will wreck. If you think about the EMT analogy I used a moment ago, So many accidents happen because of carelessness, but many accidents happen because of bad choices. And I think that the swerving that's going on in many of our lives today, maybe in your life, this very moment is serious. The word of God and the truth of God and the application of God's word in your life, if you are getting off that path, if you're swerving in the least, you are putting yourself in a position for a crash. And that's what we see next in the text is a crash. In fact, we go from the test to the failing grade. After Joshua, we see that God sent judges, men and women empowered by the Holy Spirit to deliver God's people out of dark times. The judges did do amazing things. We'll talk about some of those amazing things. They were successful to varying degrees. God's people, however, continually seem to go back into their sinful ways And thus another judge has to be raised up. Here we have the bad habits of God's people. And as you know, bad habits are hard to break. And many of us in this room, we have some bad sin habits that are hard to break, that only the Holy Spirit can break for us. I want you to know that God sees your failure right now. Just so you know, you may push it down. You may hide it from everybody else, but God knows exactly where you're losing the battle. So you might as well confess it. You might as well be open and honest about it. But here we see in verse 17 that that's not what's going on, yet they did not listen to their judges. And today we might say they're not listening to their pastors It says, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked. When I read not only the book of Judges, but when I read the prophets in particular, many times as I look at it now with a little bit of age and wisdom, it's almost like the prophets were marriage counselors. That was their main job. And the marriage was between Israel and the Lord. And what we see is that the judges are constantly pointing out the infidelity of Israel. 
They are not being faithful to the Lord, and that is why their hearts are being broken. That's why their homes are being crushed. It's because they're being unfaithful. That's the language there in verse 17, very strong language. And what we see is that as the people are made aware of this from generation to generation, it's almost like they're not passing on the information because the next generation just goes right back to the same chaos. Once again, church, it's not enough for us to point out the sins of everybody else. It's not enough for the church to scream really loud about all the bad things that are going on in the culture. We have to teach the next generation how to think and act biblically. We need to be able to have conversations about the hard topics of the day. This has been a very, very um, monumental week in our culture. Nearly 50 years of, of Roe v. Wade has been turned around. And I know some of you think that the minute I say that we're talking politics. Let me say this. The most important thing for us to remember is that our job isn't to think in terms of politics, but to think in terms of what the Word of God says. And that is the filter. That's the only filter. I don't filter what I say to you through the Republican platform, the Democrat platform, the Green platform, or whatever platform you're on. Because those things mean nothing to me, but the Word of God means everything to me. And the truth of God's Word and the sanctity of life are undeniable. And we need to understand that when we see a culture around us that is right now almost every article you read is bemoaning, like we've gone back in time, like we've done something egregious or horrible. And what we've done is, is we have just said that the United States Supreme Court has told us that there isn't this automatic right to end a life in the womb. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment. Think about how loud those voices are. And those voices are loud because in our culture, that has become a value. Imagine this, a value. And I understand that there are complexities to this argument, but right down the line, what we see is, is that God makes it clear that we are to be on the side of life. And that there's no compromise here. But when we have compromised in other ways, sin puts us on a downhill slide where our, our minds are literally blinded to what should be obvious. But that's not the way it is in our culture today. When you listen to people and the arguments they make for the, 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 the important issues of our day, they are completely detached from any kind of moral or spiritual reasoning. I was telling somebody the other day, I think it's very true, um, argumentation here is usually not very helpful because you cannot argue people reasonably out of a position that they didn't reason themselves into in the first place. If all we're going to do is, is, is yell real loud, we're never going to win anybody to Jesus. But hear this, my job isn't to yell real loud. I can point out the problems, but I am more concerned about helping people find the solution that is in the gospel. I want you to know that, that the prophet has to point the finger and call out sin, but our church, we are called to not only call out sin, but we must continue to be pastors, to wrap our arms around people who are hurting and suffering, those who have been impacted by the sins of others and their own sins. It is not okay for us to just call people out if we're not willing to care for their hearts. And too many times in the church, our legalism and our, our feeling of moral superiority causes us to be the prophet, but we need more people who will also be the pastors, those who care for the hurting. 
What I sense in Israel is a group of people who can no longer even realize what they're doing. It's almost like they're completely blind to the fact that God has done all these wonderful things for them, and yet they just stiff-arm him again and again. One example, in some of the archaeological finds found from this time period, there are these reliefs where Yahweh is represented in one place, and right next to him, a Canaanite god, uh, Ashtaroth, right next to him as if they're husband and wife. The Israelites bought into those lies. And when they did, when they started giving up those truths of Deuteronomy, of the book of Exodus and Leviticus, when they began to give up those truths, it wasn't too long until their consciences were seared, as Paul would call it in 1 Timothy 4.2, to the point where they were even worshiping gods like Moloch, who uh, required child sacrifice. When we start going down the road of sin, it takes us to the darkest of dark places. And the only way that we will see the light is with the power of Jesus at work. You are to be salt and light. That's what God's people are supposed to be in this world. But I fear because the culture and social media and media in general so often seems to have a different narrative, different than the scriptures anyway, Um, What we are, instead of being salt and light, we become sponges. You are either influencing the culture or the culture is influencing you. The dynamic is going to work one way or another. And I'm here to tell you, I hope you'll hear me, I believe that God's word is better than anything you'll soak up in this culture. I believe his truths can change not only your heart, but you can become a change agent in the world. We have to stop being sponges like Israel was so many years ago. They just absorbed all these false ideas and they became false. But we need to reject the false ideas and we need to remain true. That's the way it works. If it doesn't work that way, we will fail. A bit of bad news is we cannot escape sin in this world. We can't. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can't escape sin, but by the blood of Jesus on the cross, you can overcome it. Church, we are not called to defeat sin on our own. We can't do it, but we can when we are washed in the blood of the Lamb and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can say no to sin and live to God and know the righteousness of God and the power of God. We need the righteousness and power of God today desperately. This text is pretty sad, but it really has at its core at the heart the hinge of this whole passage is really verses 16 and 18 verse 16 summarizes the bad which is 200 years of human history that was filled with wickedness but verse 18 tells us about a god who's operative and at work even in the midst of such dark times so judges teaches us two things basically one how wicked the human heart can be and two how faithful and merciful god is to his children We are wicked, but God is merciful. When we look to the text, we are reminded, especially if we go back to that Deuteronomy passage, God delivered his people from the chariots of Pharaoh. Okay, from a military standpoint, that's a big deal. But where the mighty chariots of Pharaoh failed, the demon gods of Canaan prevailed. These little idols in people's homes, this false worship 
that in many ways they were using similar language of worship. Uh, the, the, the ideas seemed to come from the same source. And so the average Hebrew person says, well, I know that's different than what Moses taught us, but it seems close enough. Let's just go with that. Let's just walk away from our, our heritage and what God has told us. And so that's what happened. I think this shows us that our greatest threats are more internal than external. That we're so often, and again, I mentioned it a moment ago, like we're afraid of social media and all that kind of thing. Listen, all those platforms out there can't invade your heart until you open that door. You, you will be the one that, that self, self-destructs more than likely. I doubt very seriously that they're going to, uh, you know, have all this power over you, but the power is in your heart. And we need to turn to Jesus. I sense that with Israel in the period of the judges, it's almost like they were seeing God as their celestial 911. But let me say this to you, brothers and sisters. You cannot claim to have a relationship with a God whom you only call on a day of crisis. And I think that many people in our culture who are baptized into churches, who have a Christian heritage, the only time that they're getting serious about God is when life gets serious and throws a challenge in their, in their path. And people will go away from church until those seasons of life when they need it. And I'm here to tell you that God is gracious and forgiving. If you will come home, he will embrace you like the wise father does in the story of the prodigal son. But I want you to know this, that if you are serious about a relationship with God, your walk with God needs to be more than just during the crisis periods. You need to be in the word every day. You need to be in worship every week. You need to have people holding you accountable and pouring the gospel into you. You are in desperate need of a daily dose of Jesus. And some of you aren't getting it, and it shows. Some of us in the Christian culture of America today, the truth is we sound like, we write like, we act like everybody else. And it's because our relationship with God is weak. But the Lord, he raises up people who will point out the word and point us back to it Notice verse 18, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Now, I know when I say that God pities you, many of you would say, why? I I don't know if I need that. I don't know if I want that. Pity sounds like a bad thing. But if you understand the condition of your sin, your sinful soul, you will be very grateful for this pity because pity is just another word for mercy or another word for grace. I think the church today is in desperate need the mercy and grace of God. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you are in a dry place like we were talking about earlier as the people in the period of the judges was. But I can tell you that it is time to stop acting like everything's okay when spiritually it is not. Let us hear the words of our Lord Jesus as he guides us toward our time of invitation. He says in Matthew 7, 7 and following, ask and it will be given to you Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let me tell you 
what I think Jesus was trying to say. One, if you notice, he said you're evil. <laughs> he said you're evil. He said you have sin in your heart. But he's challenging you and asking you, are you bold enough to ask? You know, you may be in a very bad place spiritually, but you can be rescued by grace. But you have to ask and seek and knock. And I feel like today we live in an age, again, where we come to church, but we rarely change. We know of Christ. We're just not living for Christ. And something just seems to keep us from experiencing revival. As I was wrapping up the first service, I was thinking about how desperate we are for the good, uh, the great physician to come and heal us. We need that emergency medical uh, technician. We need, we need God to come and heal our, our hearts, our churches, our land. We are in desperate need of this. But Sunday after Sunday goes by and we are chained to the pews. Let me give you this image that I had. If you can imagine revival being inside a fortress and, and, and it, it needs to get out. It needs to, what's in the fortress needs to get out into the world. So I want you to think of it this way. Revival is, is sort of in the fortress, okay? And I want you to have in mind, every time you come to church, every time you're with your life group, every time you pray, every time you're in the word, you're like those medieval soldiers and you're taking that big log and you're hitting that gate. And if we're serious about revival, we just have to keep hitting that gate. And the more we smack into it, what we'll see is those hinges are starting to give. We'll see dust starting to settle as everything, the masonry is starting to shake loose. And the door will come down and revival will flood this land. But I'm asking you, will you keep knocking against that door? Whatever is keeping revival from your heart, from our church, from our land, we need to be faithful. God has not promised us that we will see revival unleashed, but we are called to keep knocking on that door because we need to be rescued by the grace of God. I want you to begin to prepare your heart either through the invitation here today or just this week in your prayers. I feel like the hinges are about to break and I feel like revival is about to burst forth. I think it could even happen next Sunday. And I'm asking you to commit the next week to prayer, asking for the gates to come down. We are going into a period, much like the judges, and the only way to avoid the pain that we're about to read about in the weeks to come is if revival grips our land. Pray that whatever is blocking revival will be removed. Only then will we be rescued by grace. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.